Greetings, my good people. We've made it. The finish line of this year. It is a Monday, December 31st, in the year of our Lord, 2018, the final podcast of the year. I am your host, Jay Reels. This is the Jay Reels Podcast. If you're wondering who I am, what it is that I discuss, well, I talk about everything that's going on in the world of sports, whether it's happening on the gridiron, on the diamond, on the ice, on the hardwood, on the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. This is your very first time, like I mentioned. Thank you very much for downloading and listening to what it is that I have to say. And welcome aboard. And for those who have been with me on this journey from episode 1 to 10, 20, 30, 40, and now 46, I welcome you guys back. As we close out this year and everything that has to be discussed, it's going to be mostly football, as you could quite expect, NFL college football we have a national championship that's going to take place next monday and no shock you have both alabama and clemson for round three to me it's round three i understand that this is gonna be the fourth year in a row they played but for a national title this is round three we'll get into some nba stuff what's going on with lebron obviously him being on the shelf there on christmas night in that performance against the golden state warriors we'll talk about that a little bit some words that he mentioned off the court again i feel like we talked about this last week but him being the greatest of all time, which is going to be the topic that we'll touch on. Also, the NHL, which is very interesting from this regard, how a CEO of an NHL team blasted two of its top players and what kind of effect that that's had, not only with their team, but also with the league as the Players Association has gotten involved. That, but uh, And also some baseball, not much there to report, but we'll uh, touch on that as we're just now... Hours away from 2019, and who knows what's going to happen with the two top dogs, Manny Machado and also Bryce Harper, for that matter. But we'll start with the NFL, and let's just get Black Monday out of the way. And first and foremost, here in New York, the Jet fans, a week later, get their Christmas gift. And to no surprise, when you look at the era of Todd Bowles, sadly, it's going to be up there ranked as high with the Rich Kotite era of the mid-90s. And probably even worse, I understand Todd Bowles did not endure a 1-15 in season that Rich Kotai did in 1996. I understand that in those two years that Rich Kotai was the coach of the Jets, was 4-28 and and was pretty bad. But you had four years of this, which pretty much started on that Sunday afternoon in Buffalo when they were a win away from reaching the postseason. And Todd Bowles had already 10 wins in his back pocket. And since then, the team has just been abysmal. And we get that... They drafted a quarterback coming into this year, a quarterback that this franchise desperately needed. A lot of ineptitude over the last couple of years, coaching decisions, just players quitting, whatever it may be. And now you finally get to the point where Woody Johnson, or really Chris Johnson, had had enough and realized that a change needed to be made. But only the coach goes. If you're wondering if Mike McCagnan, a GM, was also going to be out the door since they were both tied at the hip coming in, that is not the case. McCagnan, who made the big trade, let's face it, last uh, spring when he had the number six pick overall, traded it up to the number three in order to draft Sam Darnold. And we all know, we've talked about it plenty of times here on the podcast, how pretty much Darnold fell into the laps. And now you can move forward knowing with $100 million under the cap, with a new coach, which will be coming in, and we don't know who it's going to be. I mean, obviously, everybody's going to look at Mike McCarthy, the former Green Bay Packer coach. I'm sure you're going to probably hear other names, maybe even Jim Harbaugh, for that matter. 
considering his Michigan tenure has really been a failure. I understand he's put Michigan back on the map in these last few years since he's been there, but what has he done? He has done absolutely nothing and was embarrassed again in a bowl game there just the other day, losing 41-15, to so who knows if his name's going to resurface. And the Jet fan right now is just wondering who that guy's going to be. Now, as we all know, once you get that coach in place, you only hope that the building blocks as the postseason starts this weekend and once you get past that and the Super Bowl and with the new NFL calendar year, which would be somewhere, I guess, in the second week of March, as you're hoping whatever rumors, whatever that may transpire between now and then, you just have that hope where you want this Jet organization, especially Mike McCagney, to get this decision right. You don't want to bring in a guy, I'm sure, you don't want to bring in a guy who's a retread. You don't want to bring in a guy who maybe had one stop at another coaching position a la Pat Shermer and then now he's getting his second opportunity. I'm sure if you're a Jet fan, and I would think you'd want to get that guy who is an offensive guru who can develop not only the mind but also the talent of your quarterback, Sam Darnold, and then you could just hopefully take it from there. Now, I get that the Sean McVeighs and the Matt Nagy's of the world aren't on trees, and you're certainly going to have to go far and wide to get that guy. You got to make sure that he's the right fit, not only for this team, but also for this town when it comes to the media's concern. So yes, even if you're thinking about a guy like Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma, which I'm sure there's going to be a lot of rumors about him going to Cleveland, and even though Greg Williams had done a phenomenal job as the interim once Hugh Jackson left, who knows if he stays or goes, but his name I'm sure is going to be bandied about. But the Jet fan right now, all you can do is just exhale. You just chalk up another tough season, 4-12, and losing in New England yesterday, which was no surprise. I mean, listen, do we really even need to go over that game and how it unfolded, etc.? No. Right now, it's about your coach is out the door. You still have the GM. I'm sure there's some fans that probably want the GM out, but give him credit for what he did last year as far as bringing in the, getting that quarterback, bringing that sixth slot up to three, making that trade. And then now you just hope that whatever their coaching search is, that it's extensive, that they certainly don't look at it as a knee-jerk reaction to try to say, hey, let's just target this one guy, whether it be a Mike McCarthy or whomever else it may be. But they just need to get this right. If you ask me, I don't think McCarthy is going to be a good fit here. I understand a lot of people are going to look at it, but hey, Jay Reels, he won a Super Bowl in Green Bay. He's made the postseason all these years you know, in Green Bay, minus this year, of course. Still, I would think I'd want to go with a young guy. We all know that this is a young league, and we get it that it's a trendy league. You know, remember years ago when all the defensive coordinators were the hot commodities and everybody was trying to get their hands on that guy? And now that we all know that this is an offensive-driven league and we look at the recent success of the two coaches that I mentioned that are with the L.A. Rams and also Chicago Bears, that now everybody wants the offensive guy? Well, considering you got that quarterback there and you got a guy who's got his first year under his belt, showed flashes, even showed some good throws yesterday, despite the fact them getting blown out by 35. But as long as you get that guy, whomever it may be, I think the young guy is the way to go. I don't know about McCarthy. McCarthy, to me, would be a guy that would take a a job where the team is just a step away. I don't think a quote-unquote, not to say that this is a rebuilding job, but at the same time, the Jets aren't going to go to the Super Bowl for another, I would say, or at least be in contention for another three years. And I understand people could say, hey, with the NFL, you never know, $100 million under the cap, they could happen overnight. It could, but chances are it's not. 
And with Darnold, you figure by year three into year four, then you can have your sights set on making a run at this thing. But before that, I would think just go with the young guy, have the continuity. Hopefully you get both of these guys in the mix, whether it's the young coach and the quarterback for 10 years. And you have a nice size window where you could go and pursue a championship and finally bring that Lombardi to a Jet franchise, as we all know, has not won a Super Bowl in 50 years. And that's it. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, buts, maybes about it, people. That's where you're at. We have plenty of time to talk about where they're going to go, what they're going to do. Again, I don't think McCarthy's the right fit here for the reasons that I just mentioned. And I would think they would go the young route. Who knows who that guy is? I couldn't tell you, people. Uh, Listen, if I knew who would be the right fit, the right guy, I know once upon a time people were thinking weeks ago that Bruce Arians, and I think he'd be a good fit too. But again, he's an older guy. And when you have a guy that's in his 60s, and that's not to say that coaching is gone past him or the game has passed him by. Nothing like that because I think Arians could still coach. And despite the fact that he came out and said the only job that he would take would be the Cleveland job. But even a guy like Arians to come in at 62, it's going to take some time. He's a guy that we all know has a lot of experience working with quarterbacks over his you know career. Ben Roethlisberger, of course, being one. Me being a Steeler fan, of course. So I think that as good as that fit would be, I would say still go with the young guy. Do that. Try to find whomever that person may be. Bring him in here. Hopefully, whatever his system is going to be, not only does it fit the quarterback, but it's going to fit all the other pieces. And again, we got to wait till free agency. You got to wait to the draft to see how this is all going to come together. But to me, the way to go would be to go the young route. And I'm not trying to say you got to get a guy that's Sean McVay's age, 32 years old or 33, whatever he is. But you want to get a guy early 40s, I don't know about the hot guy because it's almost scary to get that hot guy. You know, everybody's looking at whether it be Josh McDaniels. And we know he's not going to the Jets, but, you know, those type of guys. You know, anybody know who Sean McVay was before he signed on with the Rams? Or even Matt Nagy, for that matter? You know, they weren't like the sexiest names that were coming out last year or the year before that. You know, where you hear in the past of John Filippos of the world and guys like that. I mean, no. You want to try to find that diamond in the rough. And if you could do that, God bless you. So McKagan, I'm sure, has his sleeves rolled up right now trying to get this job search started and hopefully successful because the franchise, as we all know, is starved for any type of winner, let alone a championship winner. And hopefully he gets to start to do that come today as uh, I'm sure his work is, he's over his head on trying to get that coach. But one thing at a time, Jet fans, coach is gone. You have your, let the ball drop tonight and then you come back in the weeks to come and see where the uh, coaching staff, how it's going to be built and where they're going to go in that direction. As far as Black Money is concerned, you also had two other guys, Dirk Cutter, which is no surprise in Tampa. He's gone. And Jameis Winston already announced that he's going to be the quarterback next year. So whatever he's going to be paid, I believe he's lined up for an extension. So Jameis Winston, who I believe has ability, I believe could be a good quarterback, but he's certainly, he's, to me, he's a couple steps behind. And... Hopefully, he gets a guy in there. And remember, Dirk Cutter was an offensive guy too. You know, from his days at the Falcons. But now, here they got to start from the ground up. And who knows who they're going to bring in. And that's not for me to discuss. You know, here in uh, New York, where they're down in Tampa. So, we'll uh, see what uh, that shakes down. And when you think about Denver and them letting go of Vance Joseph, he's one of those defensive guys that a lot of people were targeting a couple years ago as that guy. And here he is. 
two years into his job in uh, Denver, and they're your walking papers, my guy. So Vance Joseph, also Steve Wolk could be another guy in Arizona that could go. Uh, certainly word has not come down yet as far as his coaching life is concerned, as far as the Cardinals are concerned. But now, when you look ahead, you would think there is a possibility. You're hearing some rumblings maybe in Miami with Gase. He could be out in days to come. And maybe even there also is a rumbling in Minnesota. And we'll get to Minnesota situation in a second as far as the games yesterday are concerned. But unlike years past where you felt like you had like six, seven, eight coaches gone. And remember, the Packers... You know, they don't have a coach just yet. I don't think Joe Philbin's coming back, and we got to see what's going to happen in Cleveland. So you have those two locations there that are looking for a guy to be at the helm to get them back to respectability, especially with the Packers, because we all know they had some uh, high hopes going into the season. I thought they were going to go to a Super Bowl, but uh, obviously nowhere going to be nowhere near it. And even Cleveland, for that matter, which I thought they were going to have a bad season, and look what they did. They were just a couple plays away from knocking the Ravens out and becoming a team that was over 500 for the first time in 11 years. So that's what you got there. As far as the Giants are concerned, uh, that game yesterday was just a microcosm of their season. In a sense where they trailed early, they came back, fought back, they got a big turnover there late at 32-28. And all you're thinking is that not only just work the clock even with the field goal, right, you're still up a touchdown because you're not thinking that Dallas is going to make a miraculous fourth down and then go for two. But you were only hoping that somehow, some way, you could just ice this game, put the game away. It wasn't going to do anything as far as Dallas and their playoff positioning is concerned because they had the four seed locked up. But for them to lose the way they did in those final minutes, all right, so they kicked the field goal. And then Dak Prescott, who had a very good game, and the tight end, that kid Jerwin, I mean, I think he just caught another pass over the middle. The Giants did not have an answer for him. And then you look at that fourth and 15 with Dak rolling out, throwing across his body, and then Cole Beasley just extending himself, making just an acrobatic catch. Knee gets down, touchdown, and then they go for two and get that. Uh, Just, what could you say? That was the way to end the Giants' season, considering how it started, where you were at the halfway point. And although you've shown some signs there when you started the second half winning four or five and then the season just went uh, out to sea. And yesterday's game was just uh, indicative of pretty much how the Giants' season was. More down than up. And you go into an offseason 5-11 and 11 as to wonder who your quarterback's going to be. And I know we talked about that from ad infinitum over the last couple of weeks and what Gettleman's going to do Considering that now he has the six pick in the draft. Didn't he remember he had this number two last year? Six pick in the draft. And he didn't like any of the quarterback prospects coming out last year. And I'm sure he's gonna feel the same about the guys coming out this year. In fact, the kid from Oregon who had a lot of buzz early on, that's Justin Herbert, he's declared that he's gonna go for a senior season at Oregon, so he's not coming out. Who knows about Kyler Murray, whether he's gonna be in Oakland playing for the A's or going into training camp, trying to get you know take a shot at that, or if he's going to see if he's going to be uh, draft eligible. I don't even think he is. I believe he's a sophomore. I got to go back and check that. I should know that off the top of my head, but I don't. And then the Giants are going to look at number six to see what holes they could fill, and I'm sure they're going to go offensive line. And once they do that, if they're going to bring Eli back, they're going to think that, hey, we're going to take another run at this thing. 
We understand that we were unsuccessful two years in a row thinking that Eli was going to take us to a playoff and we had all the offensive pieces in place. But as you had seen, the Giants only won eight games in these two years despite being under two different regimes, Jerry Reese last year and, of course, Dave Gettleman this year. So I'm sure they're going to take one more crack at this thing, even with Eli at the helm. I'm sure a pay cut is going to be in store. Eli, you would think at this stage of his career, he understands the writing on the wall. Maybe he takes that. Maybe he looks at that and says, no, I could, I'm still worth $25 million a year. So that's going to be the offseason for the Giants right there. And we all know they need to shore up their defense. As you've seen yesterday, you know, we get no Landon Collins. It's the last game of the season, even though it's against Dallas, a division rival, and at home. But still, the, the defense has just been deplorable. The lack of pass rush. Uh, the, those are going to be things they're going to target here this offseason. Even though Olivier Vernon had, actually had a good game Yesterday, but uh, was hurt most of the year and certainly was not effective, although he had had his moments. But if you're a Giant fan, you just look at that window, just like myself as a Steeler fan, when you have an aging quarterback and a guy who can still produce, but you wonder if there's any gas left in the tank. And you just hope that whatever Gettleman and company do this offseason, that they just push all the right buttons, considering they hadn't done so the last two years, and try to find that mix to get themselves back not only into respectability because they've fallen so far off the map there not only in the NFC but just in the whole league to get themselves back to a position where not only can make the playoffs but make a run and the NFC as we know it's loaded NFC has a lot of good teams and when you think about it this is a conference that did not have the Falcons at 100% Carolina fell apart there at the end the Eagles came roaring back, and we'll talk about them in a little bit. Who knows what's going to happen in the NFC West next year once they get Garoppolo back. Seattle proved me wrong. I thought they were going to be a down team this year, and they've certainly been fine. So the Giants, they, not only do they have a lot of work cut out, but you know this isn't a conference that is going to be easy by any stretch. And again, listen, the season just ended. You kind of say, come on, Reels. Let's not even think about 2019, but... I'm sorry, I, then my crystal ball, you look at it, it's not like the conference is taking a step back. You know, this conference is certainly going to be tough to try to get, you know, it's not like the AFC, where the AFC, it's a little top-heavy, Kansas City and New England, but would you be surprised if San Diego or LA, the Chargers, they made it as the AFC representative in the Super Bowl? And dare I even say this, would you be shocked at Baltimore? With their defense and the way they played, granted that yesterday they almost spit the bit, but you get my point. NFC, it's Saints, Rams, and you figure one of those two teams is going to make it. Bears with their defense, they can make a run. You know, the Vikings were another team that were expected to go place this year, and we see what happened, you know, we saw what happened with them. So it's not going to be an easy conference for the NFC if you're a Giant fan. So when I talk about Mike McCagden rolling up his sleeves this morning, well, guess what? I'm sure that the uh, oatmeal with the uh, fruit platter on the side there for Oh, one Dave Gettleman is certainly not going to go down too smooth knowing that uh, those sleeves are going to be rolled up just as high as his counterpart there in Florham Park. So we'll certainly uh, gauge it as we go along, but let's get back to what's happening on the field and we'll recap yesterday. Now, I'm not going to discuss the Miami-Buffalo game, Detroit-Green Bay. Now, with that game, Aaron Rodgers gets hit on the first drive. Helmet goes flying. He's pretty much in a concussion pro- protocol and they looked at it and say, listen, it's the Detroit Lions. It's a final game. Nobody's going anywhere. Let's just put in Deshaun Kaiser, and not only did they put him in, but they to the tune of a 31-0 trouncing when the Lions beat Green Bay. So that's pretty much the storyline there. But a lot of these other games, you know, Carolina and New Orleans, I'm not going to get to that. I'm going to get to the games that factored the most 
here down the stretch. And I'm going to start off with the game in Minnesota, which my friend Kevin, who's been a lifelong Viking fan, lifelong. And considering where they were last year, I understand the Minneapolis miracle against the Saints in the division round. And you had a 7-0 lead on that first drive with Case Keenum in Philadelphia for the NFC Championship game, and you're feeling good. But pretty much ever since then, it has just been bad news. And I understand they've had their moments this year, the Vikings. They had that tough tie there in Week 2 against the Packers, which was controversial to say the least. But with Kirk Cousins and all that money going to Minnesota, and yesterday against the... We know the Bear defense, very good. But without Khalil Mack... And for them to put up that performance the way they did was just inexcusable. That team needed to show more fight. That team needed to be more desperate. I've never been a Kirk Cousins fan. And yesterday was one of those days that just showed you why you don't like Kirk Cousins. And I don't care what numbers he had. 30 touchdowns, 10 intercepts, 4,200 yards. That doesn't mean anything. We all know it's about W's. And he certainly didn't have his team in the mix. I understand at 13-10 he had the touchdown there to slice it. To, to cut it to that, but uh, that was all to be heard from the Viking offense yesterday, and that's just a pathetic showing. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't make any excuses about it. I know Kevin will probably listen to this and be stewing, but at the same time, what could he say? A team had a lot of promise this year, and certainly they had some, their issues just like every team, ever since Griffin with his uh, leave of absence there, just to kind of get himself and his mind right, but still, that team should have been a playoff team and knowing that they were just one step away from a Super Bowl last year, a lot of people thought that, hey, that could be the team to beat in the NFC. And we all saw that that was not the case. So Chicago moves on. They make the postseason. And the Vikings, of course, go home. Now, the Eagles, obviously, are all the talk this morning where Nick Foles, who's now filled in for Carson Wentz with his issues with his back, they shut out the Redskins yesterday and now position themselves to be the sixth seed in the NFC, which would have gone to the Vikings if they would have won. But now the Eagles, and we all know what happened last year with Nick Foles, them being a top seed, them going ahead and trying to get that Super Bowl monkey off their back, which they certainly did. And a lot of people in Philly, and I'm sure certain parts in the NFL are thinking, oh, could this happen again? 24 nothing. Foles actually went out with an injury, a chest injury, I believe, but not to be serious. I'm sure he's probably going to get some reps later on in the week. A lot of rest I, I would have think and now you got to wonder Philadelphia at Chicago that's going to be one of those games where if Philly is hanging around against a young quarterback in Trubisky against a team that hasn't been in the postseason in quite some time you kind of wonder will the wily gutty gritty battle-tested team be the upstart over the young green and just getting to the postseason for the first time in quite some time especially with a guy like Trubisky under center fascinating stuff and I'll get into more of the matchups later on but I'm just going through yesterday's games and kind of seeing where all the chips are falling uh, it's going to be fascinating to say the least how these matchups here come Saturday and Sunday for the wildcard round are uh, going to shape up now let's see what else do we have do I, do I even go there with Pittsburgh yet nah you know I always say that to the end the Sunday night game Indian Tennessee I know for the Steeler fan out there was thinking that 24-17 as the third quarter was winding down, they were thinking, hey, we could get a tie. Never once did it even cross my mind. If that was 30 seconds in the fourth quarter, then I would start jumping up and down. But the Colts took care of business. Sloppy game. Luck had you know, just a bad pick six. 
And you didn't think that Blaine Gabbert was going to pull your team out of the fire when the money on the line there, Tennessee. So 33-17, that was a winner-go-home game. So the Titans go home, no Mariota, he was hurt. And Luck makes it back to the postseason. Uh, good for him as a sixth seed. And we'll talk about that matchup against Houston later on. And Houston beat Jacksonville 20-3, no big deal there. The Chargers beat Denver 23-9, which pretty much ushered Vance Joseph out of the building in the mile high. Kansas City beat Oakland. Pat Mahomes with uh, 50 touchdowns and 5,000 yards. The only other person to do that was Peyton Manning in his MVP season. I believe it was a 2013. And uh, let's see what we got. We're not going to talk about Atlanta-Tampa. Certainly not going to talk about Arizona-Seattle. Though Seattle won on the last second field goal, which secured Arizona getting the number one pick overall in the NFL draft next year. Uh, all right, you know, let's just get to it here. These final two games, because the other games really you know, they do not matter whatsoever. So the NFL moves both the Cincinnati-Pittsburgh and Cleveland-Baltimore games to 425. And rightfully so, because you're not going to have one game at 1 and one at 420. So let's say if Pittsburgh was at 1 and they won, then, of course, all the drama is down in Baltimore. So they want to have it side-by-side. Typical NFL, but it certainly worked its magic there. So the witching hour for the NFL wasn't between 315 and 4 o'clock. It was between 715 or really 7 o'clock. And 7.30. And with the Steelers, tooth and nail, trying to beat a Bengal team that certainly has uh, been lost for quite some time. And who knows what Marvin Lewis, that hasn't come down as if yet. A lot of rumors about him maybe getting his exit and his uh, walking papers today. But as of right now, as of 10.53 a.m., that has not come down. So Pittsburgh, here they are fighting tooth and nail just to even compete in this game. And which was weird, when I think about the pick six where the Bengals took a 7 nothing lead, I thought the Bengals were offsides. And even Roethlisberger in the postgame said, oh, there was a free play. That's why he figured that, hey, he had free reign to do whatever. That's why he was looking at the refs pointing to the opposite side of the field to say, hey, wasn't there a penalty there? But they had a pick six. And again, you had a kicker, Matt McBride, come in there where Chris Boswell, as we all know, has had an awful season. He had to come in there off the street to kick three field goals, including one right at the two-minute warning, to secure a 16-13 win, which pretty much set the stage for what was happening in Baltimore. The Ravens, who were up in this game 20-7 at halftime and 26-17 late in the fourth quarter, Baker Mayfield, who threw his third touchdown there with about three minutes to go, soon thereafter, he had a three and out. So now Cleveland's getting the ball. And as Cleveland gets the ball back, the Steelers already won their game. So Cleveland on its first play or second play on that final drive passed down the sideline. Rashad Perriman, the former Raven, makes a toe, you know, tiptoeing catch on the sideline. Referees, the officials call it complete. Ravens don't think so. They go to the monitor very close. But I thought he was inbounds because as the ball was in his hand, his right foot, which that was the question, whether or not his right foot was down. But it was. The pass was completed. The next play, Jarvis Landry made just an unbelievable catch. Full extension, had to corral the ball, reel it in, fell to the ground. The ball did hit the ground, but he had control. That was another play that was reviewed. That was also uh, confirmed on the field. And now you're thinking the ball is on the Raven 39, first and 10. And I believe at that point, it was about a minute 20 on the clock because they had the 10-second runoff. So now you're thinking, in Pittsburgh, you're going crazy. Myself, the Steeler fan, I'm thinking, could this actually happen? 
And as I said last week on the podcast, I felt that the Browns were going to not only look at this game to go into the offseason to go over 500, but now Baker Mayfield, who also has the rookie touchdown record, he's through 27 touchdowns in his first year here in the league. And now I'm thinking, this is where the legend of Baker is going to start. He's going to pull his team from two big deficits here in this game, and then somehow, some way, their kicker, who I couldn't trust, even if it was a chip shot, but even if they were to put him in that position, you're thinking, I'm thinking to myself, I, I, is this actually going to happen? And not only that, for the second year in a row, where the Ravens, if you remember, against the Bengals on the final play on the fourth, I think it was in 15, where uh, Andy Dalton threw that touchdown pass and dashed the Ravens' hopes for a postseason. Could this happen again? First down incomplete, second down incomplete, third down, which was close, it could have been caught. It was behind Jarvis Landry, but gets knocked out. And then on fourth and 10, uh, just a great instinctive play by C.J. Mosley for the interception. And how I look at it, too, when you see the angle from behind the quarterback, he was going on a crossing pattern for a wide receiver that was before the first down marker. And even if it was caught, and it looked like it was going to be thrown behind, but even if it was caught, he probably would have been stopped short. And that would have been the game anyway. So even, I don't know, the the dying-the-wool Steeler fan was looking like, oh, you know, why did he make that throw? He would have been stopped there anyway. And for the guy that's thinking, "Um, hey, just kick the field goal there, it's 56 yards. To me, I I thought it was the right move to go for it there. Why not? They had a timeout in their pocket. I believe they had two timeouts, Cleveland, if I'm not mistaken. But they certainly did had at least one timeout in their pocket. So even if it was complete there and they got a first down, they could certainly call a timeout and then regroup. And a lot of people thought they should have called a timeout before the fourth down. But be it as it may, the Ravens are going to the postseason. And the Steelers are not. And even, like I said before, there was hope of uh, Indianapolis and Tennessee tie, which would have set the stage for the Steelers making it into the postseason due to the tie-breaking scenario. But uh, to put a bed and my Steeler flag is at half-mast today, the only thing you could say, people... As much as you hate, and I can't stand the Ravens. I can't stand them to save my life. Let me tell you. It's tough to see that team celebrate. They won 6-7. Give them credit. You got to. Because when you think back to that game on November 4th in Baltimore. When Pittsburgh went in there. And it was one of those old AFC North division rivals, clashes, defense. Pittsburgh prevails 23-13. And Pittsburgh was 5-2-1 at the time, and Baltimore was 4-5. and five. And you thought, that's it. There's no way they're going to catch up with Pittsburgh. But now, here they were with all those bad losses in Denver, in Oakland, the game last week against New Orleans. There's no excuse. And let's not forget the game against the Chargers at home, 23-7 at halftime. All they need to do is win one of those games when we're on division. But as it was, the Steelers weren't able to make plays. They were very schizophrenic. They're so up and down. And all you could blame, uh, you want to blame Tomlin, you could blame, I mean, whatever. But the, the job just was not done from the Steelers when it should have been. And that's how you got to chalk it up. Give credit to the Ravens. And that's tough for me to say, but I got to be honest. Now, where they go from here is a different story. And I'm going to get into that in a little bit. But if you're a Steeler fan today, I know it hurts. But you can only blame yourselves because the Steelers in a lot of these games. I mean, think about this. After that Raven game, they were 5-2-1. They play a Thursday night game which they annihilated the Panthers. And then 10 days later, they had a game where they had no business, no business winning. They got a gift from the football gods in Jacksonville. And you think to yourself, we got a two seed. Right, there's still six more games to go, but 
you know, we're in position to put ourselves in, with a two seed and having that tie, which I can't stand ties. And I hope the Steelers never have another tie as long as I live. And I hope I live another 50 years. But with that being said, this is where the ties kill you. Because the Steelers had a better division record than the Ravens. The Steelers are a better team than the Ravens. And I'm not saying that because I'm a Steelers fan, but let's just face it. The Steelers just collapsed at a bad time and the Ravens took advantage of that. But I think if the Steelers and Ravens played tomorrow, right, the game is going to be close, it's going to be tooth and nail, but offensively, they, I mean, they're light years better than the Ravens because let's not even go there as far as that's concerned. And right, I'm going to give an edge to the Raven defense, but at the same time, you know, that's going to be a close game. And I would think the Steelers on paper are a better team. But as we all know, games aren't played on paper. Right? I get that. And I understand I'm bickering here a little bit because I'm a little bitter today. More so at my team than the Ravens, but you get what I'm, you, know, you get my drift. So now the Steelers are going to pick 19th in the draft. Good times. And, you know, you're going to think about what could have been. The whole offseason, you're going to be thinking about the game in Denver. You're going to think about the game in Oakland. You're going to think about the charge game. And you're going to think about the game against the Saints. They won one of those games in the playoffs. Just one. And that's it. So there you have it. There's your uh, Steeler recap for the year. And the one thing uh, in the postgame that Roethlisberger said, which I thought was fascinating when they asked him, and he talked about retirement. And all Roethlisberger said is that, hey, I have one more year on my contract. And as long as number 53 is back, I'm in. Meaning Marquise Pouncey. And he's very, he's close with those guys. With all of his offensive linemen. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Steelers are going to do here as far as keeping this unit together, being cohesive, and hopefully taking another shot at this. Because the window, it's closing. Because anytime you have a quarterback who's going to be 37 in March you know that you're not going to have many of these opportunities. And you just hope somehow, some way, that they have another year, maybe two, left with Roethlisberger playing at the top of his game. Because Roethlisberger still, I mean, come on. We get it that he takes chances and he's a gunslinger and he'll make you pull your hair out of your head. But the guy is, he's John Wayne. And he's a guy that I want on my team. I understand they're better quarterbacks. I understand in his era they're better quarterbacks. But... You got to love what this man has done. And once he's gone, as much as you want to curse him out now and all those interceptions, you look at the game in Denver or whatever it is, I'm sorry. As a Steeler fan, you went through all that nonsense after Terry Bradshaw. I don't even need to run through the laundry list of quarterbacks since then, despite the fact Neil O'Donnell took us to a Super Bowl. But still, it's going to take long and hard before you start criticizing this man when he's long gone. And then you're going to be clamoring for what he did in his Steeler tenure to whomever the next guy or guys are going to follow after him. So just keep that in mind. All right, now let's get to the postseason here before we get on to a few other things because uh, obviously it's a busy day here, the final day of the year in 2018. As far as the storylines of this postseason, before I even get to that, to me, and I'm going to give you three with one honorable mention. When you look at the landscape here, to me the first thing that jumps out at me when you look at this postseason, is can Andy Reid finally, not only win a playoff game, but get to a Super Bowl and win it? And do I really need to get into the reasons why? If you watch football and follow football throughout all these years, you know. And Andy Reid, I'm sorry. I don't know him personally, of course, but he's a good guy. We understand he's been a very good coach for a long time. He's this era's Marty Schottenheimer. We get that. But I look at it, he's got home field throughout the whole playoffs, or throughout the AFC, He's probably got the MVP of the league on his team, which could be a bad thing, and I'll get to that in a second. And he's he's pretty much got a red carpet 
no pun intended considering that's their main color, to go to a Super Bowl. If he doesn't make it this year, when is he ever going to make it? And when the reason why I say with an MVP and Pat Mahomes, which he could be, but just think about this, people. The last three players to win MVP of the league lost the Super Bowl. Cam Newton, Matt Ryan, Tom Brady. Just keep that in your back pocket for late January, early February. Well, I know that the, the awards are the day before the Super Bowl, so just keep that in mind as you get closer to the Super Bowl. So that's number one. Number two, and I think a lot of people, <clears throat> excuse me, Number two, and how I look at the playoffs, I get that a lot of people are going to look at Nick Foles, the Philly Magic, whatever, but that's got to be a storyline. I don't know if it's going to be short-lived or it's going to be a long playoff run. But you got to wonder. I understand people want to jump on the bandwagon and think that, oh, they're the champs, blah, blah, blah. It's tough to knock them off. Who knows they're going to have second life here? This game is not going to be easy. So I don't think Chicago's going to roll over, but for some of the reasons I mentioned earlier... Trubisky, them not being there for the you know this is their first time being there, how they perform. I understand they got to go on the road, but I would think if they win this first game, that's what's going to get fascinating. Because then they got to go to New Orleans, which that's not going to be an easy trip. But as we know, New Orleans is a team that their defense is not going to uh, you know have you shaking in your boots either, despite the fact that they may put up forty five, but. I don't think it's going to be... I think that's a storyline because they're going to look at that. Is it going to be short-lived? I think it is. I think they could get past this week, though, but after that, no good. I don't think they're winning New Orleans. But that's number two. And number three, to me, are the five seeds. When you look at the Chargers and the Seahawks, now those are teams, more so the Seahawks, that have the pedigree. Chargers, as we know, they've had some big games and won some big games here. This season on the road in Pittsburgh, in Kansas City. Can those teams make a deep run? You know, can the Chargers go to Baltimore where they just played them in LA just last week and beat them and then possibly from there go back to Kansas City and beat the Chiefs again? Same with Seattle. Pedigree. Can they go to Dallas and beat Dallas? Which I think they can. Despite the fact Dallas is playing very well. And can they go to New Orleans and beat the Saints as a five seed, provided that the Eagles do not win their first round game. You know, or Seattle, then they have to go to LA. So to me, those are the stories because, it's, you know, they're not just your normal five seeds. Yeah, I understand Seattle 10 and six, and it's, of course, not the Legion of Boom team, and then the Chargers, even at 12 and four, but the Chargers have always lost these bad road games and bad playoff games and certainly have not been able to get over the hump, especially. In the Phillip Rivers tenure. But still, I, I those are teams that are formidable. They're certainly not five seeds, so to speak. I mean, it's arguable that the Chargers could be, you know, a one seed. Or even look at the Steelers. I hate to bring them up again because people, oh, there goes Jerry Reels and the Steelers again. Well, when the Steelers were eleven and five and a six seed in two thousand five, when they won the Super Bowl, I mean they were eleven and five, but they were I mean, please, if you're 11 and 5 as a 6 seed, what does that tell you? I mean, if you're a good team, you're not 9 and 7, 8 and 8, or even 10 and 6, a fringe playoff team. But that's my point. 5 seed Chargers, 5 seed Seahawks, do they have what it takes to make it a long postseason run, considering that 
pedigree with the Seahawks and also the Chargers with the type of season that they've had, can they go a long way? And to me, this is an honorable mention, but let's see what Houston does. Because I understand a lot of people, and I have nothing against Deshaun Watson. He's had a good year. But now let's see, as they go up against the Colts, what this team is going to be all about. Because now there's no excuse. Years passed, I know you had, what was it, uh, TJ Yates at quarterback, and then who else did you have? I mean, you just had some awful quarterbacks. Tom Savage, guys like that, who certainly when Houston were playing in those bad divisions, especially those years when Andrew Luck was hurt, that they made it to the postseason and did nothing in those games. So now, here they are with their defense intact, and we all know who those guys are. And the same, now you have a quarterback who's in place. What is Houston going to do here? Is Houston going to upset the apple cart in the AFC? Or are they going to be that type of team that, yeah, they're 11-5, and yeah, they're a good team on paper, but when the money's on the line, they don't produce. So that's the other issue. And as far as the games this weekend are concerned, and the games are as follows, Houston at Tennessee, oh, I'm sorry, Indianapolis at Houston, get that backwards, Indy at Houston is the first game at 4.30, followed by Seattle at Dallas, Sunday you have the Chargers in Baltimore, and then Philadelphia at Chicago, and then the following week as follows with the home teams, it's Kansas City, the first game, followed by the Rams, and then on Sunday it's New England in New Orleans. So there's your divisional playoff. Not We don't know the matchups, of course, but the, we know that those are the one seeds and two seeds that will be hosting that weekend. As far as this weekend is concerned, Indy Houston. Indy has a lot of, I tell you, if they get no pressure on Andrew Luck, and we all know that their offensive line has been formidable this year, I, something tells me that the Colts are going to win this game. And to me, that that's, that is it right there. And we understand the Colt defense isn't great either, but if they got to play downhill all game, the Colts, especially if they're able to get luck, you know, have them upright and making plays, I can see the Colts winning this game. And you know what? I, I, to me, out of all the games this weekend, I think that's the one upset that a lot of people may, are going to look at and say, oh, you know, we, we weren't expecting this. Because I'm sure a lot of people are going to look at Houston. There's a lot of pressure on Houston too. All right, and this is going to be Deshaun Watson, and not that he's going to succumb to pressure, as we all know, national titles in the past and everything, but this is the benefit of playoffs. It's a whole different beast. So I, I like the Colts in this game. I just think that Luck, it's been a long road for him, and I know that he's probably been relishing this for quite some time, and who knows if they have a deep playoff run on them, but I think this first game, they're going to get over the hump, and I think they'll beat Houston. As far as the second game is concerned, yeah, I'll go in order. The second game, this will not be an upset if Seattle wins in Dallas. I think this is going to be claw, scratch, fight, tooth and nail. It could be either 13-10 or it could be 30-27. That's the type of game it could be. I, you don't trust Jason Garrett in these spots, man. Uh, that, that's the to me that's the factor it's not even a matter we understand it's the execution on the field but Jason Garrett worries me in the worst way and I can see him being conservative just like he did, was against Green Bay when they had the one seed that year and they lost in those final seconds that was the famous Aaron Rodgers third and 20 that game he just scares me and just based on that alone I gotta take the Seahawks no offense JD and to all the other Cowboy fans 
Uh, it's going to be a close game. Would they, if Dallas, can they win? Absolutely. Would I be surprised they win? Absolutely not. But Garrett scares me. We understand Zeke had a day off yesterday, so he'll have some fresh legs. Dak, who's been, who has played well, I understand the Colt game notwithstanding, but has played well down the stretch. Can he continue that? We'll see, but uh, I, I just think the Seahawks are going to pull out a close game Saturday night. As far as Sunday, I think the Chargers, and they have a lot to prove here. Baltimore, as we all know, they're a, they're a bully defense. Let's just face it. They're a bully defense. It's certainly not your uncle's or your daddy's Raven defense from years past, but at the same time, this is a defense that you could actually move the ball on, as you saw yesterday in that game against the Browns. To me, the key for San Diego is they have to have a spy or someone to watch Lamar Jackson. Because as crazy as it sounds, it's almost like he's, as Mike Tirico said yesterday, which almost fell out of my chair, he's revolutionizing the the position again. We've seen this movie a million times. And you know what? It's probably going to work for this year, maybe into next. But until he develops as a pocket passer, he is going to be... He's going to be an afterthought in five years. He is. So yeah, this may be working now. Look, he had 90 yards rushing on 20 carries. To me, if you stop Lamar Jackson from running, you're going to win the game. Now, granted that you don't get a defensive turnover on the other side because we all know the Ravens are very opportunistic, you know, being a number one scoring defense, etc. But if you somehow, some way neutralize Lamar Jackson from not getting outside the pocket, from not getting his legs running or moving... Then you're going to win a game. To me, it's so weird. It's almost like you want to have Lamar Jackson beat you from the pocket. Well, keep him there. Don't let him run. Have a spy. Put Derwin James or somebody. And we understand that he's fast and we understand that he's elusive and all that. But come on. You know, he's not Cam Newton or even Dante Culpepper in his day. You know, the guy's, you know, 6'5", 260. Yes, he's tall. He's lean. He's has big strides. But he's not, he's not a big man in the sense where he's physically imposing. And for those out there who've watched football over the years, and listen, I'm not a defensive coordinator, so I'm not trying to make myself out to be one or know everything about it, but we've seen this movie before. Do I need to go through the list of these running quarterbacks that have certainly been unsuccessful? Can I start with RG3? Now, RGB, is a, you know, he's a bit of a thing, and it's ironic because he's on the same team as Lamar Jackson right now, but, you know, those guys aren't going to last. And you know what? If you just somehow, some way, keep him in the pocket, you're going to win a game. He's going to make short throws, going to make quick throws, and that's the offense that the Ravens have. It's going to be simplified, but you know what? Just do that. Try to make him, force him into bad decisions, and that's it. And keep a spy on him. Because the thing is, is that, and if you're going to get pressure, don't let him get outside. you got to keep him inside. So if you're Joey Bosa or Melvin Ingram, you got to make sure that your point of attack is the middle of that pocket. Because the minute he slips through and up the middle, or the minute he gets outside, you can forget it. So you got to keep them in that pocket and you got to make sure that you get there within a nanosecond. You can't even get there in three seconds. The third second, he's going to be 50 yards downfield. But I think the Chargers, if they somehow, someway could contain Lamar Jackson, they're going to win this game. But that's the thing. That's a big if. And the Chargers defense, although it's better, but is it going to be enough? And who knows what the weather's going to be like? Is it going to be one of those cold days in Baltimore? I know this is going to sound more anti-pick. I, I think the Chargers, listen, if I'm Phillip Rivers, I'm telling my team, my window's closing. I was expecting to have a, us to have a good year. We've had a great year. This season cannot end in Baltimore. After this team we played two weeks ago, and granted, they played terrible against them, but they were in the game. 
And I understand the kicker's going to scare you. But I think the Chargers, if you come too far to let this season just slip out of your hands like this. I'm sorry. And the Ravens just backed in the last, I don't want to say they backed in, they earned it. You know, the Ravens got in the last game day of the season. And I understand Harbaugh's not going to preach, hey, we're happy to be here. No, because he's been in this league too long, won a Super Bowl, has been in the playoffs a million times. I get that. But at the same time, uh-uh. If you're Anthony Lynn, and he scares you too, but if you're Anthony Lynn, and especially if you're Phillip Rivers, you're telling your team, uh-uh, the road does not end here. And by any means necessary, let's look at those games in Pittsburgh and in Kansas City where we won, where nobody thought we were going to win. Well, guess what? The same applies here. And as far as the Sunday game goes, I got nothing against the Bears, and they've had also another very good season. And that Khalil Mack trade certainly changed the whole entire outlook and chemistry and everything. Culture, whatever you want to call it. But I think for one more week, this glass slipper is actually going to fit for Nick Foles. Because the Bear, I don't trust Trubisky. And Trubisky can run, he can make plays. But I don't know, I think the bright, the lights are going to be too bright. And the Eagles will do just enough on the defensive line to disrupt that. We know that secondary is in shambles. But you know, it's not as if the Bears have... To me, it's Tariq Cohen. I mean, he's a guy that, he's the X factor on their offense because their tight ends aren't going to scare you. Their wide receivers aren't going to scare you. But it's him and their running game. If they run the rock to the tune of, you know, 150 plus yards and have time of possession 35 minutes plus, then you can forget it. The Bears are going to win the game. But I, I think the Bears, I, you know, I could see the Eagles going in there and it'll be an upset considering they're a six seed and the Bears are the three and their defense, et cetera. But that's going to be another one of those like 21, 20, 20 to 17 type games. And I think the, I'm going to say the Eagles are going to win. But I don't think they have a deep playoff run because they're going to go in New Orleans and get waxed. So, so those are my picks. Not by point spreads, people. So I'm not going to get crazy. So I'm taking Colts, Seahawks, Chargers, Eagles and my Super Bowl pick which is obviously out, way out the window now that Pittsburgh's gone too I'm picking New England and New Orleans and the reason being is that I can see Kansas City getting picked off in round two I can you know Baltimore played them close and Baltimore could be going to Kansas City and I hate to say it I hope the Ravens aren't playing in an AFC title game but I, the Ravens can go in there and win and they almost did if it wasn't for a miraculous fourth down play a few weeks ago so I can see Kansas City getting picked off and New England will be at home not only in the divisional round but that means also in the championship game and they'll go to the Super Bowl and New Orleans they, because they have home field they're going to be tough to beat in that building. So that's what I'm picking. Excuse me, New England and New Orleans is my Super Bowl pick right now and uh, I'm not going chalk. Oh, Kansas City and, and people could say they want the Chiefs and the Rams. I don't want that as a Super Bowl. Uh, I don't want 54-51 again. Excuse me, because that's all you're going to hear for the next two weeks if those two teams do make it to the Super Bowl, and I don't want to hear that. So, why not? Get the two guys that are 40-plus at quarterback, whether it's a 41-year-old Tom Brady, a 39-year-old. I mean, he may be 40 now. I don't even know. Drew Brees, and uh, away we go. So, that's your NFL people. Uh, Glad you were sticking with me for the first 50 minutes talking about that. Obviously, there's a lot. You know, in this time of the year with NFL, now we'll get into the playoff games as we go. And maybe some coaching moves and things of that that nature. So uh, I appreciate you sticking with me for those uh, first 50 plus minutes talking about that. But now let's breeze through the rest of this and we'll just keep it with football real quick. With the college bowl games. And to me it was no surprise. Alabama-Clemson. I'll just touch on both of these games real quick. The first game 
you know, when Notre Dame went for it on fourth and three, I think it was, at three all, and it got stopped, and Clemson went down the field and scored a touchdown. You're kind of thinking, oh, this is going to be one of those decisions that Brian Kelly, and they had to go for it. I mean, look where they were at the, you know, positioning on the field that they had to do that. But then right before the half, I mean, that was a killer. Late in the second quarter where it just all fell apart. And Notre Dame, which I thought, and listen, I haven't watched every Notre Dame game this year, and I understand that they were a top team and deservedly so to be in this position. But I just thought when you're playing teams that have been in this position year in and year out like Clemson has, there were going to be no match for them. And as we saw, the cream did rise to the crop. The Tigers certainly put it on them there. And that uh, touchdown right before the end of the half was just a killer that made it 23-3. Because even at 16-3, you could say to yourself, you know, Notre Dame's getting the ball. Maybe they can make a play. Maybe something could happen, whatever it may be. But once it got 23-3, pretty much turn your sets off there and away you go. And as far as Alabama and Oklahoma's concerned, when it's 28 nothing in the second quarter, I mean, that's, you know, what can you say? And, of course, it wasn't a fumble there on that opening drive with Alabama. You know, of course, they punched it in, but uh, they just ran all over them. They threw all over them. Tagovailoa was the guy that said, I'm sure, privately was thinking to himself, this guy is your Heisman Trophy winner when I know I should have won. And what did he do? 24-27, 300 yards, four touchdowns. I mean, what could you say? And Ty- Kyler Murray did not have a good game. And despite them trying to come back. And now you have uh, Alabama and Clemson there for the national championship. And again, it's round three. I get it, it's round four because they played in the semifinal last year where Alabama just annihilated them. But I think this is going to be close. These coaches and these programs know one another. We understand it's not just Sean Watson there at the helm. But listen, Alabama's going to win the game. I'm not trying to preview it. We could preview it next Monday. But just some early... Thoughts and discussion on it. I think Alabama's, they're going to win. I don't know about how many. Next week, I have a better idea, better feel, better understanding. Because Alabama, they're a machine. And you got to see, uh, you know, Nick Saban's cranky face again. And uh, what could you say? You're just sick of looking at his face. Uh, at least I am. And I'm sure there's a lot of college football fans. Even football fans who may not follow college as much as the the next person. But, yeah, you, you see that face on the sideline. You, you know who he is. And you're just like, oh, God, this guy again? And I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way. So that's your college football there. And the other bowls, like I said, you know, you can't really get wrapped up in. I know University of Miami got waxed in a pinstripe bowl pretty much right down the block here in the BX. And now they have a new coach in the mix. Excuse me, Mark Richter, who retired. So we'll see what that uh, does for the U. Uh, Quickly on the NHL. No, you know, I'll get to the NHL after. Baseball is going to be quiet here. There's still a lot of free agents out there that do not have a job, whether you're a relief pitcher, a la Craig Kimbrell, David Robertson, Zach Britton, whether you're an outfielder, a la Marwan Gonzalez, as well as A.J. Pollock, an infielder like uh, D.J. LeMahieu, Mike Moustakas, etc. So but, oh, all the talk is going to be Bryce Harper and Manny Machado who say he's going to make a decision after the new year, but you still have a lot of the guys that are out there and you kind of wonder, is it going to be like last year all over again? Remember, Moustakas didn't sign so late with Kansas City, that one-year deal. Is it going to be the same as you're heading deep into January and into February where these guys aren't signed? It's quite possible, but uh, we'll see after the new year if anything goes down here toward the end of this week and into uh, the new year. Of course, we'll uh, you'll get my take and my feel on that. Uh, you did have a couple other signings. Nelson Cruz signs with the Twins for one year. 
So who knows if that's uh, he's becoming the Vince Carter of uh, MLB instead of trying to look for a team that he could possibly win with, maybe DH for uh, you know a team that's on the cusp there. And of course, it's not going to go to Boston or the Yankees, but uh, who knows? You know, maybe hey, can the A's get me for one year? But no, that's not the case. So he's going to go with the Twins, and then uh, Jonathan Lucroy, who is a catcher out there, who was a guy that a lot of people thought that he could a couple of years back was. One of the top uh, backstoppers in the game, but he signs with the Angels for one year, so I'm sure he's going to have some sort of chemistry there with Matt Harvey, as we talked about last week. He signed there with the Angels, so Angels making some uh, fringe moves out in Anaheim. As far as the NHL and NBA, before we say goodbye, quickly on the Islanders, I don't know how they're doing it, and now Matt Barzal, he, he actually may be out here. No, I'm sorry, it's Jordan Eberle. He's on IR, Matt Barzal. If he's out, forget about this. season will be over. But the Islanders had a big game there the other night where John Tavares faced them for the first time up in Toronto where the Islanders shut them out 4 nothing. So great response there for the Islanders. And listen, they're fourth in their division. They're probably going to be end up you know, as a wild card. But to think that they've been competitive, a lot of that could be attributed to the coach. Barry Trotz coming in here. And you know they've done more than what I've ever expected. Considering they lost Tavares, considering... That this was a team that can score, but certainly didn't have enough defense and a goaltending a suspect. And here they are. Now, granted, there's still another half season to be played, but you got to like the way they responded, especially in light of that game against Toronto, where there was going to be a lot of people reminiscing about their former captain. Now, if anybody's wondering when John Tavares is going to play against the Islanders here in New York, February 28th and April Fool's Day of all days. And both of those games are going to be on the island. So he's not even going to go to the Barclays Center, which is good. He's going to go to the old barn and play there, and I'm sure that's going to even be that much more hyped. And uh, I'm sure that's a game where Tavares is, and he even said it too the other day. You know, he had some thoughts and feelings, didn't really get into it. He just said that, you know, they didn't win the game. So imagine what it's going to be like when he comes to the island at the end of February for the first time. So that's something to keep an eye at. And then the situation in Dallas. I mean, what's going on there with the CEO telling his players and quite frankly, you know, very profane, saying that this is flipping bull. Crap, as I say it loosely. You know, these guys need to do better, so on and so forth. Uh, listen, we understand you're the CEO. We get that. He's not even the owner, okay? But if he's running the operations and he's going to call out his two best players, Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben, and, you know, they pretty much take on the high road. Tyler Sagan saying that, hey, you know, he has a right to say it. Oh, no, he didn't say it like that. I'm paraphrasing. But came out and said, yeah, we do have to play better. And, yes, I am surprised that he said that. But, you know what, he's... Pretty accurate about that, which was the right thing to do if you're a player. But come on, that even the Players Association got involved and they released a statement saying, hey, what is this? You know, how is this guy going to come out and say this about his players? And and in essence, like, who is he? He's not the owner. You can see maybe the owner came out and said that you wouldn't be happy. But at least, hey, the guy owns the team. So uh, I don't know if it's going to have any backlash. But yeah, the, the CEO needs to pipe down. And if he's not happy with his top two guys, I mean, I'm sure you could say it in a different way. And you can come out and say, hey, well, I'm passionate. I want our team to win. But right, you're not going to come out and do that. You're not going to just put it all out there to just hang those your two stars out to dry and then you know have whether the coach or even the players, or unless you want to start a war with these guys. But yeah, that was just uncalled for, and that just took me aback big time. Because you could have situations, and we didn't discuss it, because in Jacksonville with uh, Leonard Fournette and TJ Yeldon, Falling out of favor with uh, Coughlin, and he released a statement about those two players. But you know, that's contract, you know, conduct detrimental to the team or whatever it may be. 
But here, it's just, you guys are not playing well. You're playing like crap. And yeah, I'm here to tell you about it. Whoa, all right. Well, now that he's put on notice, we'll see how uh, how Dallas performs from there and what they do. And uh, I tell you, it's just something that uh, you rarely see here in sports where uh, the owners, or in this case, the CEO is going to call out their top two players and, and var- obviously in very uh, obscene fashion. So there's that. And then as far as the NBA is concerned, before we uh, say goodbye here to 2018, I know you had the situation there from the Knicks standpoint, as your season is uh, certainly one going down the tubes. I know Ennis Cantor is coming out saying that uh, he doesn't know why he's not starting. He feels like he should start. And this is in light of what happened there in Milwaukee the other day. Him when his uh, confrontation with uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, where you had Darvin Ham, the assistant coach of the Bucks, intervening, where he felt disrespected, where he was, you know, Ham had touched him, but he, all he was doing was playing, playing peacemaker, coming out saying he should be fine. We know Cantor has a lot to say, and we understand that he has this whatever chip on his shoulder. And, you know, he's a good player. He's a walking double-double. But, uh, you know, for him to kind of upset the apple cart and for him to just try to go out of his way to make headlines, you don't like that. At least I don't. You know, because, right, he's a good player, yes. Even if he was a great player, you know, he could back it up and you could deal with it. But after a while, that act becomes tired. And I'm sure the Knicks fan, they may like that and pump their fist and get crazy. But, I mean, come on. Really, Ennis Cantor? There's... I understand that you and Antetokounmpo, if you're going at it back and forth, all right, great. But then, you know, to make those comments, oh, he touched me, he shouldn't touch me. Acting like a tough guy. Uh, come on. This isn't WWE, my guy. So, that's the situation with that. You also had a big NBA star who's going to be on the shelf for the rest of the year as he had a surgery on his uh, heel. He had bone spurs and John Wall. Of course, all the talk about him, there's no way they're going to trade him with that big contract, but with him and Bradley Beal, so now with him out, uh, I'm sure the Wizards now will probably go quietly into the night as far as their season is concerned. And then LeBron, who, the Warriors, and I said this last week and I'll say it again, that the Warriors are on a lock to win this championship. And I'm not saying that because of what happened to the Lakers there on Christmas night. I had this discussion with my son two weeks ago, and he's like, oh, the Warriors, come on, you know they're going to win. I said, I don't know. You know, the Warriors right now, I tell you, and I'm not going to get too deep into them, but if they think they're going to turn the switch on come April, which they could work with that team. But I don't know. There's just something that's not right with them. And as I said last week, they were literally, they were the minutes were being ousted last year in the conference finals against Houston. So you have a team where I understand Boogie, who's on the mend, and he's going to be part of the mix. But does, does that mean it's going to be automatically be a positive? I don't think so. Clay Thompson finally got off the other day where he was looking at his hand saying, I missed you. Eh, you know, it's just, again, when you've been in four straight finals and you won three of them, you'd probably look at the regular season like, oh, let's just get to April. And if you have that attitude, despite the fact that you guys are champions and multiple champions, you know, it's not going to be that easy. You know, that game against the Lakers, and let's face it. Now, the Lakers were pretty much in control of that game. And LeBron left with the groin injury and it pretty looked bad at the moment and he's day-to-day and, you know, LeBron never misses time. But you got to wonder. Some, and they've already had some moments here this year where Steve Kerr has, has made some comments and we all know about the Kevin Durant earlier with Draymond Green. And let me tell you, I would not be surprised if somehow somebody to get picked off. And again, this is me saying it on December 31st and I'm not trying to say, hey, I told you so, whatever. For all we know, in mid-June at the Oracle in their last season in that building, they're going to host that trophy for the fourth time in 50 years and you're going to be sick of it. But at the same time, I, I don't know. It, to me, it's not an automatic foregone conclusion that this team just give them the title. And as far as the Lakers are concerned, 
And then Rondo's going to be out now with a hand injury uh, as he got operated. I think he's out four to six weeks. But LeBron, he's, I mean, we all know he's the stir that, uh, straw that stirs that drink. But uh, when you had the comment the other day with Kyle Kuzma saying that, hey, we're more than just one guy, which is good. You know, that's not trying to show up LeBron. You know, you're looking at other guys like Josh Hart and, of course, Lonzo Ball and, you know, guys like that, Brandon Ingram. I think Ingram was the one that came out and said that. But still, they seem to be cohesive. They were definitely going to follow their leader, but they feel as if, oh, my God, if LeBron's gone, what are we going to do? No, they're certainly not going to panic. They're certainly going to trust their system and do what they need to do to win. And that night against the Golden State, you saw it. I mean, that was just an annihilation. That was that was an annihilation. I've said that a few times today. That was an obliteration. And to think, they've had some bad losses at home, Golden State. I think that's the fourth loss of like 20 points or more that they've had. So you want to keep that in your, uh, keep that feather in your cap. And then lastly, with the LeBron, I know he just came out with this. He's had this ESPN documentary series, More Than an Athlete, which pretty much chronicles him going back to high school. And then recently he proclaimed himself that the night where they won game seven, down three games to one against the Golden State Warriors, that game that they won at the Oracle was the night that made him the greatest of all time. All right, LeBron's going to say that. All right, fine. I, I'm not going to get bent out of shape. I understand the person who loves Michael Jordan. Oh, I can't believe that. The person who loves Bill Russell. Oh, yeah, look at this. Or Will Chamberlain or whomever you want to name. But, hey, listen. It was, it was a moment that was historic. He finally brought that city a championship. You know, LeBron's going to say that. LeBron has said on many occasions that he's the best player in the league and the best player of all time. And this was, you know, that, that moment cemented it. Then, hey, so be it. I'm not going to argue back and forth to the Jordan fan or to whomever else to say that he's not the greatest. I'm not. Is he part of Mount Rushmore as far as the greatest? You'd have to put him in there. And I've said this in the past on other podcasts, and I understand it's not going to be popular to the guy that thinks, oh, how could it be on Mount Rushmore when you have other guys you know, that are just as worthy, if not belong there, whether it's Oscar Robertson, Jerry West, Larry Bird, etc. And I'm not going to come up with an NBA Mount, you know, Mount Rushmore right now, but we know LeBron James is an all-time great. He's an immortal. He's not even, when you say all-time great, he's an all-time great. He is an immortal player. And if you're an immortal player in this, in any league, then that's what you are. You're a guy that 100 years from now, people are going to talk about you. And that's it. So, but I understand it's going to ruffle some people's feathers. Oh, there goes LeBron again. But you know what? Hey, say what he wants. You know, that was a that was his defining moment in this league. And that's one that's gonna last forever, especially in Cleveland. So you know what? If he feels that hey, that that moment made him or those that series, those games made him the greatest of all time, then hey, so be it. All right, people. That is it. That is all, but for now. I appreciate you guys. Uh one, more than thank you twice more than once for all your support and love for this program. I'm gonna try to come back. Not try, I take that back. I'm going to come back bigger and, bigger and better next year. I finally got the year one under the belt. And remember, people, I'm a one-man operation. You know, it's not like I got uh, interns or I have other people working with me behind the scenes to get this thing up and running. This is all on me. But I understand I need to do better and I will do better to deliver not only a top-flight podcast to discuss everything that's going on in the world of sports that's not only entertaining but informative but most importantly credible and on top of that, to try to bring you the top guests, whether it's current or former athletes, whether it's sports writers, whether it's broadcasters, whether it's even fans. I want to get those 
people involved to talk about what they need to feel, what they need to voice, and we can banter back and forth because that's what this podcast is about, people. It's about sports, about entertaining, but again, it's to inform you of what's going on and what's happening and also to give you those opinions or deliver those opinions that'll certainly be either hot-button topics or you just be like, no, Jay Reels, you're nuts. Or, wow, Jay Reels is on point. That's the whole purpose of this. And 2019, I plan to deliver it bigger and even better, whether it's on the website, jreels.com. Obviously, all my social media accounts, whether it's Jay Reels on Instagram, Jay Reels 1, just a number on Twitter, the Jay Reels podcast on Facebook. You could also hit me up in a DM, send me any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be. You could also send me an email at the jreelspodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to do that. And of course, as I say each and every week, people, all you have to do on your phones, that's it. There's a podcast app on your phone, as I almost knocked over the mic. Podcast app on your phone. You just hit that, type in the J Reels podcast, or if you're on Stitcher, Spreaker, even Spotify. So right, if you're listening to holiday music or you're sick of holiday music and you want to listen to this podcast or what I had to say last week about the Steelers melting down in New Orleans or whatever it may be, all you have to do, type in the J Reels podcast. But more importantly, hit subscribe. The minute you subscribe... I pump out these every Monday. I try to get it out between eh, anywhere between 1 and 5 p.m., certainly for your commute home, especially if you're on the East Coast. So what will happen is that by 5 p.m. Eastern, it'll pop up on your phone. All you have to do is just go to it. You can either download it onto your phone or just play it. And please leave a review, post a rating, all that good stuff, because all that does is just increase the visibility of the podcast with others out there in the sports universe, sports podcast universe, that is. And with the, the increase... Visibility, it will also garner a lot of uh, chance to have other guests come onto the program <clears throat> because of its notoriety, because of its increased popularity. So I need just a little bit of par- participation on you guys. So if you could do that, spread the word to those out there. Again, I will sincerely greatly appreciate it from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are. The J Reels podcast always comes correct, directed, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. Have a happy, healthy 2019. Be better for yourself. Look in the mirror. Don't point fingers. Hold yourself accountable. Do that, people, because you know why? The minute you hold yourself accountable, you're putting yourself out there to not just be vulnerable, but to be stronger, to do better, and that's what we need. We need better people. We need better results. We need better everything across the board because in this day and age, especially in this country, Everything is about excess. Everything is about pointing fingers and not taking any blame. And the minute you look in the mirror and take ownership of that, that's when you start becoming a better person. So put forth that work. Put forth a good night, you know, better 2019. And you know what? We'll see you throughout the course of the year. So with that being said, everybody, enjoy. Be safe. Don't drink and drive. Have fun. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.